0: And let's pray, let's ask God to help us as we come to look at his word together. Lord, we do thank you for your word, for its depth and richness and power. And Lord, we ask for your help as we come now to look at this passage. Please talk to us and speak into our lives, we pray. This passage is very familiar to many of us, but we ask, Lord, please, would you give us eyes to see the greatness of our saviour? Would you speak to us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my aim this morning isn't to spoil your nativity scenes or sets or the cards that you have or have sent. Um, but when we look at this passage, it does kind of change the way we look at the traditional setup of the nativity scene, doesn't it? As I was asking earlier with the true or false questions, do you notice how different this is from what we often think of the wise men? Over the years, lots of traditions have been added to these wise men. Um, we say, do that there were three but we don't know if there were three. The passage doesn't tell us. We say that they were, they were kings. Again, we don't really know that they were kings. We're just told that they were wise men. We think that they come on camels. Again, we're not sure. They might have, but we don't know how they got there. Um, we've been given them names over the centuries as well. Caspar, Melchior and Balthazar. Have you heard, heard those names? Again, that came into tradition in about the 6th or 7th century. Is not in Matthew's account here. And we also think that they came to the manger. In our mind, we think they arrived just after the shepherds came. But actually, um, it tells us here that Jesus was a child by this time, not a baby. So he was probably a toddler. Um, So not uh, around the nativity scene. Again, I'm sorry to spoil it uh, and your nativity scenes. Don't throw them out, you know. (laughs) Use them to remind us of Jesus. But it's important for us to say, well, what really happened? And why does Matthew write it? Because he's not writing this just to give us the Christmas fuzzy feeling. He is writing this gospel for us to know and encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to know who Jesus is. And he wants us to grasp something glorious about him. So today we're going to ask two questions. We'll ask, well, who is Jesus and how should we respond to him? So they're the two questions we're going to ask who is jesus and how should we respond and we'll find the answer to those questions in this passage it would be helpful if you had it open in front of you so first then let's ask this question who is jesus well the first thing this passage shows us is this jesus is the promised king he's the promised king now matthew is, has just told us in matthew chapter one of the birth of jesus very briefly he's covered that And this is probably, as I said, could be two years after that has happened. Jesus is now a child. And the wise men, we're told, came from the east to Jerusalem. Who were they? Why had they come? Well, Matthew is telling us the reason they've, they've come is really important for us to understand who Jesus is. We don't know where they've come from. We just know they're from the east. So people have kind of surmised from the east what would have been Babylon. So possibly this could be people um, from Babylon who were astronomers because they'd noticed something unusual in the sky. Okay, so it, that could be the idea and the, the thinking there is Daniel, remember, went to Babylon and Daniel, uh, there would have been a Jewish community still there and their writings and their teachings would have been in Babylon. So they could have been coming from the east, these astronomers because they noticed something in the sky and they came and they saw this sign. Now, again, we don't know for sure, but these men who we know were wise men noticed something in the sky. They came from the east and they knew that 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 star was a sign that the king was coming. A sign that the king was coming. Now, just as an aside, when we think of this star coming in the sky and moving to right where the child was, we can sometimes think, oh, that's so unrealistic, isn't it? But think again. The same, we can think about the virgin birth. Here is a God who made the world. Here is a God who created the cosmos from nothing. To make a star appear or disappear when he wants or where he wants is not hard for him. To make a baby appear in a, child, in a mother's womb is not uh, uh, hard for him. See, we've got a God of miracles. You need to remember that. Let's not limit him. But here are these men who are coming in. If they were coming from Babylon, it would take taken about 40 days. And they go to the palace, first of all, because they've heard a king has been born. Look what they ask. Where is he who's been born, King of the Jews? Of verse 4. Where is the Christ going to be born? Remember, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. And Messiah means anointed one, the promised one, the king. Now, when we put that into the context of the Old Testament, when we start at the beginning of the Bible, this starts to make more sense. Do you remember, in Genesis, God made the world. And he made us as humans to live in glorious relationship with him, but we turned away from him. And as a result of that, like the first domino going down, it knocked everything down, the world is now a mess. But God doesn't give up on the world. He promises to send a savior. He promises to send a king. He promises to send the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. So through the Old Testament, we're looking out for a king who's gonna save the world. God's people choose a king. Their first king is Saul. And he makes a mess of it. The second king comes along, David. And he's a good king. He is anointed. You know, he's a little M messiah. But he's not the messiah because we look at him and we see his life falls apart. He's told one of your descendants, one of your grandchildren or great, great, great grandchildren, they will be the king to save and rescue and fix this world. And so we look, Solomon arrives, David's son, but he makes a mess of things as well. King after king after king comes and they all end up failing and so we're waiting and we're waiting and then Matthew starts his his gospel and he wants us to see let me tell you about Jesus let me tell you about the king he has come that's why chapter one starts with the genealogy of Jesus to say look remember we're looking for a king remember we're looking for David's greatest son well let me tell you about Jesus look his credentials are here he's born in the line of David tick yeah he's got that so here, he Matthew wants us to see this is God's promised king. And the wise men are coming looking for this king of the Jews. And so they go searching for him and they go and ask Herod. And Herod wants to find out, right, okay, if there's a king born, I need to know who that is because he was the ruler of that area at the time. And so he goes and gets the religious experts and um, say, where's your king going to be born? This Messiah we talk of, where is he going to be born? And they think, well, there's a prophecy in in Micah, sorry, written 700 years before, telling us that the Christ will be born in Bethlehem. Now, why does Matthew want to underline the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Well, he again wants to tick off another of the promised credentials. In the line of David, tick. Born in Bethlehem, tick. Can you see Jesus is the king? Now, later on in Jesus' life, in John's gospel, um, people were trying to work out, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he really the one we're waiting for? And listen to what happens in John 7. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there's a division amongst them. See, they were like, but... Jesus has come from Galilee. I thought the Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem and from the line of David. Do you see what Matthew's already done? He has shown he's in the line of David and he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus is qualified as the King. So when we remember this, and just take a step back, this birth of Jesus isn't just a little incidental thing. This isn't just, oh, and there was a baby born early in, in in the Gospels and then we'll look at what Jesus did, no. This is Jesus fulfilling the promises of God that ties it back right to the beginning of time and before time began. Jesus is the promised one. He's the king who is going to put things right. He is the one that we need and we long for. He's the one who's going to fix the mess. Jesus is the king. See, step one, how does Jesus fix the mess? He's going to fix things between us and God. He's going to make that relationship right. Step two is like we were thinking about last week, putting the whole world right when he returns. And God is doing it. And the first Christmas is proof that God keeps his promises and that Jesus is the promised one. So this is no normal baby. This is a glorious coming of the king. And he is the promised one. So Jesus is the promised king. Who is he? Matthew wants us to see. He's the promised one. Look, line of David. And he's born in Bethlehem. Secondly, though, this passage shows us Jesus is the a humble king. Because God is a God of surprises. And, and look how humble we see Jesus is here. Where do the wise men go to find a king? Well, they go to a palace. That's where kings live, isn't it? The king of the Jews must be in this big palace. Now, he must be living with the powerful and the strong and the influential and the impressive. He must be rich. He must have an imposing place to live. The king of the Jews has to live there. So they go and he's not there. But where was he? In the tiny, influential town of, Beth- uh, uninfluential town of Bethlehem. And he grew up with young and poor parents. And his birth, well, there was no room even in the inn for them to, to be. He was put in a smelly manger. See, the humble king is born here. Now, we can sometimes forget those things, can't we? And, and because Bethlehem is a familiar name to us, we think it was somewhere special, but it wasn't. It was really a small place uh, that, that people didn't think much of. But here is the king of the universe. The promised one has come to a nowhere place. He reigns, this king reigns, not by imposing his power, but by stooping. By stooping down low. And notice here, the two kings in this passage are contrasted. Don't we? Because we see Herod as a ruler, and then we see Jesus. Look how different they are. King Herod was a person who, looking at the history books, everybody knew craved power. He was a horrible man and he imposed his kind of power on everyone. And he wanted everybody to listen to him. So he built impressive buildings to try and impose his power. He was paranoid about other people um, uh, taking his power from him. So we know that he killed close friends. He killed his favourite wife. He killed at least two sons because he was threatened by them taking over. So here is a power-hungry, power-craving man who will stop at nothing to protect his power. He reigns by fear. He reigns by power and force. That's Herod. But then we see King Jesus. How does he come into the world? He starts life as a weak, feeble, helpless baby. We were with some friends yesterday who've got a baby one week old. Can't do a thing. Can't even hold its own neck up, can it? And yet Jesus humbled himself to that point. To be fed. To be cradled. To be changed. That is where Jesus came. When we see what this king is like, he tells us, look, I've come not to uh, be served, but to serve. Jesus reigns not by fear and imposing power, but by stooping. And ultimately, don't we see that all the way through Jesus' life until the point where it ends on this earth? It's poignant, isn't it? The wise men, who do they ask for? The King of the Jews. When's the next time we see that phrase? Well, we see that when Jesus died on the cross, don't we? Then he had a crown of thorns, nailed. Uh, he was nailed to the cross, and above him was a sign that said, King of the Jews. He reigns by stooping. And three days later, he rose victorious. And now he's seated on the throne in glory. But the path to glory was by going down. This is the humble king. And there he is. He is showing us and contrasting with Herod. This is how one uh, writer put it. It's quite the fragile God who needs political power to preserve and enforce their will. It's quite the powerful God who partners with peasants, Born in poverty, washes feet, heals the sick, advocates for the oppressed and is unjustly killed and still changes the entire world. He didn't need to impose his power. He came weak and um, as a baby and still the world is transformed after his coming. That's power. There's a king today who asks each one of us to trust in him, to follow him, to listen to him. King Jesus comes and says, listen to what I say. Follow my path. And he loves us this much. He stooped this low, so when he tells us to follow him, he loves us. When he tells us things that we might um, say, "Oh no, I'm not sure about that," think of the heart where that command comes from. He loves you. He doesn't want you to lose your life, but gain it. So as we come and listen to King Jesus, remember what he said: If you want to keep your life, if you want to, if you want to gain, sorry, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. if you want to gain your life you need to give it away if you want to know true joy that doesn't come by putting ourselves first it comes by giving our lives for others we need to treat others better than we treat ourselves lay down our lives because that's the path of jesus and we're part of his kingdom and his kingdom is the upside down kingdom the humble king you see it needs to shape how we see our lives and us as a church as well as we serve and give um, our lives for one another. So who is this king? He's the promised one. He's the humble king. But as well, he's the welcoming king. What does Matthew want us to see about Jesus? Well, significant um, here is the first people to really know who Jesus is, the first people in the gospel to kind of click that this is the Messiah, who are they? Well, it's not Jewish people. It is people from outside of God's people. Um, these, they were Gentiles, these wise men. They were from outside. Of the people of God. And Matthew's making this important point that he makes time and time again through the gospel Jesus came not just for the Jewish people, but for everybody, for the whole world. And so the first people to kind of click, here is the Messiah, is not the Jewish people, but people from outside. And this is really close to Matthew's heart. Remember who Matthew was? Matthew was a tax collector. And he was a traitor to the Jews. Because he was siding with the Romans. He was an outcast of society. Nobody would, he would have been off the Christmas card list. Uh, he, his family would have ignored him because he chose money over um, kind of being faithful to the Jewish people. Because he wanted to the side with the Romans. And yet Jesus goes out of his way, stops and tells Matthew, come and follow me. Even though everybody else rejected him, Jesus said, come. So Matthew knows this Jesus is one who welcomes the outcasts, welcome those who everybody else would reject. Now, we tend to change what Jesus is like, don't we? We tend to think Jesus is for people who have got their lives together. Jesus is for the decent, for the respectable. That's who Jesus is for. But actually, when we come to the Gospels, we see the religious and respectable are actually the ones who end up killing Jesus, the ones who end up turning against him. And so here he is. Jesus is the one who comes to spend time and to welcome the outcast. Now, the wise men were outsiders. Uh, They found a welcome with the king. And so this morning, whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever you've done, Jesus has come for you. Isn't that great news? He welcomes you today. And if you have any doubt, look at the length that he went to to come to this world to save us. He came to this world in order to rescue and save people from all backgrounds and all walks of life. Jesus stands again this morning with his arms wide open and says, come, I've come for you. Now, if you're a believer this morning, if you're trusting in Jesus, is this the Jesus you have in your mind when you're praying for people? When you're showing people and praying to show the love of Christ? Or have you written people off? Have you become judgmental in your mind and thought, no, I'm not going to tell them or pray for them because, well, Jesus, let's not um, put restrictions up where Jesus doesn't. We open our arms wide. We pray for those who everybody else has written off. We pray for them and we welcome because Jesus welcomed us in all of our failures, all of our faults, in all of our filth, Jesus has come. And we came and so let's offer that same welcome to others. Do you see Matthew here in this passage is showing us here is a king. He is the promised one, he is the humble one and he is the welcoming one. This is who Jesus is. But before we finish, we need to ask this. Well, what is our response to Jesus? What's our response to be to this king? And there's three responses in this passage that um, bring this close to home and challenge us this morning. What is our response to Jesus? Well, the first response we can often have is this, anger. Again, look at verse two and three. We see there Herod. Where is he who's born king of the Jews, they ask? For we've seen this star and we've come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why was the whole of Jerusalem troubled as well? Because they knew the kind of person Herod was. Herod was a king who was going to fly off the handle at any point if there's any threat of any other leader. They knew that he'd killed his family because he felt threatened by them. And so now they're like, oh, no, here he goes again. What's he going to do now? See, his response when he heard about another king was to be furious. Now, does Jesus offend you? Does the thought of a a God in heaven who knows you, who sees your life, a God who says, follow me, let me be your king, does that offend? Because it's easy for us, isn't it, to think that we're the kings and bosses of our life. It's easy for us to think, I rule, I reign in my life. We think we're in control of all things. If there's ever been a time in, our, in your lifetime, in my lifetime, where we are, need to be aware that we're not in control, hasn't it been these last two years? One small virus can change everything. We're not in control. We never have been in control. The thought that we're in control is just a delusion. And like with Herod, it can really trouble us. It's really unsettling, isn't it, when we don't know what's going to happen one week to the next, what the restrictions are going to be, what's next. And it unsettles because we like to know, we like to be in control. But you know, we are limited. And when it comes to Jesus, he says, I'm the Lord, I'm the King. And if we think we're the boss, we think, hang on, no, 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 there's, there's no room for two on the throne. It's either me or you, and I want to sit here. I want to be boss of my life you see uh, we think we have the power to do what we want but we don't we are limited remember reading steve jobs he's the um the one who start one of the one people who started the apple company and he wanted the impossible that's a big driving force of his kind of philosophy and he said you know i know this is probably impossible but this is what i want this technology to do and most of the times he got it, kind of forced the team to do it. And they got around and did these amazing things with technology. But it was also his downfall, that kind of thing. We can do this. I can get this done. Because this is what a friend said. He said his, um, his own self-belief and his own mindset made him put off having cancer treatment. His, his friend said, I think he truly thought that through some unconventional means he could cure himself. Just because he could do it in his workplace... He could accomplish what he wanted, everyone did. But when it came to his body, he had limits. And by the time he had an operation on his cancer, it was too late. See, we can fall into thinking, my life is under my control. I'm king, I'm my lord, I'm my saviour. But then Jesus comes along and says, no, you need to give that to me. I'm the true king. You can't live your life on your own. Trust me. Give me the steering wheel. Let me drive it means we ask then, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live my life? Not what I want and what feels right or what society tells me. No, Jesus, you tell me. I want to follow you. It's hard to hear that, isn't it? And maybe you're offended by that tonight, because we went to, uh, tonight, this morning, because we want to be independent. But God has created us to live in dependence on him. What's your response to Jesus. Are you angry when you're encountering this king? Maybe as a Christian this morning, you know there's areas in your life where you're not submitting to Jesus and you're holding back. Let this be a reminder, he's the Lord we can trust. He's the one who loves us and he came to serve and we can trust his motives and his heart. So what's your response? The first year we see is Herod, his anger. But we see another response here, which is apathy. Do you remember who this promised crisis, he's the promised king, the one who is promised for uh, from the beginning of time to the Jewish people to say, look, the king will come, the Messiah will come. And he's going to be a great descendant of David. And when um, they were waiting and waiting and waiting, uh, and you think, you know, they, that's what they were doing. They were waiting for their Messiah. And so Herod, when these wise men come and say, where's the king of the Jews born? He goes and gets these experts in the law, these Jewish people who knew their Old Testament. And so he says, where's the Christ to be born? And they said, he is to be born in Bethlehem. They knew the answer. They could pick the verse out. They said, that's where he's going to be born. And what happens? They kind of exit exit stage left. That's it. We don't hear any more about them. They don't say, oh, so has he come? You know, can we come with you to see this Messiah? You know, they were so close to the glorious news of the king they'd been waiting for And they just let him go now so often you can uh, find in the news uh, examples of things like this where people thought something was uh, didn't have any value but it ended up being priceless like i remember reading of a chinese vase um that somebody had on their rickety kind of um bookcase that at any moment could have been knocked and smashed you know it's just kind of this old vase and they thought not much of it they insured it for about 800 pounds but then they put it into auction and it sold for 53 million pounds. You know, they had this precious antique on their shelf, but they didn't have a clue how precious it was. And in the same way, these um, wise, uh, these, sorry, these um, religious leaders had access to Jesus, this precious promised saviour and king they'd been waiting for, and they let it go. Now, this Christmas, this morning, we're coming close to the manger. We are thinking of the saviour and we get a chance to see how great he is. What are we gonna do with him? What are we gonna do with him? Maybe we've just ended up being apathetic. Maybe we look and think of Christmas and the news and just leave it there. Perhaps you know you're apathetic this morning and you don't want to be. Well, let's pray that this week, we would spend time stopping and pausing and thinking on who Jesus is and why he's come. Think on the Christmas story, read some of the Gospels and pray that God would take the apathy that we feel and set us a alight on our hearts. Bring it to God, bring our apathy to him. Maybe this morning you're not a Christian, you feel apathetic. Can I urge you, you can't sit on the fence with Jesus. You can't be apathetic. He is either the Lord of all or he's nobody. We can't sit on the fence. So how do we respond to Jesus? Anger, apathy or the last one, and we'll close with this, is this, adoration. The wise men kept going didn't they they saw this star it would have taken them ages to do come on this trip and this supernatural phenomenon guided them to that point in bethlehem where they saw jesus all the study all the hard work and what happened in verse 10 when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy then they arrived in bethlehem and verse 11 they go into the house and they saw the child with mary his mother And they fell down and worshipped. Now, I'm sure many of us have been in the presence of a toddler. I'm sure not many of us feel like we want to worship a toddler. You know, there's chaos, there's mess, there's, you know, it's a busy time. But here, what faith? These wise men worship this toddler. Isn't that amazing? They knew who he was, that this wasn't just any child. This is the promised king, and they worship him. This is the God-man, God in human form. And so they had this lavish gifts. It wasn't a bath toy. No, it wasn't a, a ball or anything like that. This was gifts fit for a king. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, expensive gifts. They sought after Jesus, and when they found him, they kept going. And they responded the only way a natural response should be to Jesus, they worshipped him. When you know who is in the manger, when you realise that this was the great king, then our response must be worship. Now, as we finish, is your response to Jesus a life of worship? Are you putting him first? Are you living for him? Not just one day a week or one morning a week, but every day, every moment. Jesus, I want to follow you. Do you give him your all? Do you stop and marvel at his love for you and let that warm your hearts and affect your life? Our life is one of giving for him. I use this illustration often at Christmas time, so please forgive me, but I don't think I've used it for a few years now. Um, there was a boy in a school for additional learning needs in the nativity show, and he was one of the wise men in the nativity play. And the play was going well, and it came to his part. And he was very nervous, as you can imagine. And he walked onto the stage with the other wise men. Uh, the first one said, I give you gold. The second one says, I give you frankincense. And he was next on the stage in front of the whole crowd. You know, all the parents there watching. At Pre-COVID times, they could watch live and in the building. And there they were, parents watching. And here's this boy. And he'd forgotten his gift. The others had placed them down before the baby. What's he going to do? Well, all eyes were on him. But what did he do? He reached up to his crown, pulled it off, and put it by the manger. He gave what he had, all he had. And in that moment, it might have been a mistake, but actually, it sums up the Christmas message. Jesus, I want to give you all I have. You're the king. You deserve it all. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet, what can I give him? Give my heart. Give our lives for Jesus. How can you give your all for Jesus? What are you holding back from him? He gave your all, his all for you. See, the only way we can give our all for Jesus is when we realise what he's given for us, isn't it? The baby in the manger has given it all up for you. He gave up the glory of heaven, those... Uh, the glory we thought about last week of, of, the, um, of the beauty of heaven. Jesus gave that up for you. The child lived a life of poverty. He was rejected and betrayed by all those around him. He was an outcast of society. He was killed as a common criminal. He gave it all up. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that, so that through his poverty we might become rich. That's what he's done for us. So now we can live for him. Now we can give our all for this God who loves us this much. John Stott says there's three rational responses to who Jesus is. Um, People who who met Jesus in the Gospels reacted in three ways. One, they were terrified and they ran away. Others hated him and wanted to stone him and kill him. Or they fell on the floor and worshipped him. If we grasp who Jesus really is, there's one response that makes sense. What's your response this morning? Do we worship him? the King of Kings, the one who has given uh, his all for us. Let's pray our hearts to be like this, the uh, wise men here that rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and worship Jesus. Let's live lives that show the honor and value and preciousness of Jesus and live thankful lives for all he's done for us. He came to this world to save us so that we uh, cannot do anything to save ourselves. He's done it all. Let's trust in him. And follow him. Let me pray as we come to sing our last carol together. A song together, it's not a carol, sorry, a song. Father, we do thank you for the gift of Jesus. And we thank you for the example of the wise men that we see here who persevered, who kept going and saw Jesus and worshipped him. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live lives of worship, and joy and adoration of giving our all for our Savior, the Lord Jesus. If there's anyone here who hasn't yet done that, we pray that you would open their eyes to see how great he is. And we pray that by the end of today, Lord, many more would be joining in praising Jesus for coming to this world and saving them. And we ask this all in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.